Would you pray with me? So Jesus, you are the Messiah. You go by many names, Jesus, Yeshua. We know you as Jesus, but you also have the name Emmanuel, God with us. You are the water of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You also are the Christ child, the Messiah. And we are here this morning to lift you up, to honor you, to bless you. And then, Lord, in return, we would ask that your favor and your, and your, your countenance would shine upon us, that we may receive the blessing that there comes in acknowledging you as Lord. And so we just ask for your presence to be here among us. We ask that, uh, that as we go into the scriptures, that you would then reveal truth. And we just ask you, Father God, the one who ushered in this story of love to redeem all mankind, we just ask you, God, that you would take pleasure as we celebrate this story and that your son's name would be the name that is above all names and that that revelation would come to us afresh and anew this morning. So we declare you as God and we declare your son, Jesus, as the Messiah. I pray this in that name. Amen. It is so good to be here with you this morning. At this time, uh, we, are gonna, we are gonna continue our series in the book of Luke. We typically look at Luke around uh, Christmas time, but we're actually in a series that began three weeks ago and will end uh, uh, just after Easter. And so I'm gonna ask you to turn your Bibles there. If you do not have one, our ushers would be glad to provide you a Bible, and we're gonna be on page 958. So in Luke chapter two, we're gonna read verses four to seven here this morning. And, uh, and then we're going to take a, 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 an angle at this that probably hasn't been done on a Christmas service. Uh, but I believe it to be extremely important in our understanding and appreciation of the celebration that we're doing here this morning. So Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, if many of you have grown up with traditions like I did where grandpa or dad or uncle read the text every Christmas Eve, then you know you probably did what I just did. I'm reading this to you in a modern translation. I grew up hearing that text in the King James language. And so even as I'm reading it, I'm hearing my great-grandfather's voice reading this out in the King James language it, it, because it had been repeated to me over the years of my lifetime. But I appreciate this text very much, but what we often miss in this, in this text is that in those simple four verses, a significant thing happens 
that for us maybe isn't as important because we're on this side of the cross. We don't look at the coming of the Messiah as being something we had to study the prophecies for to know that he was the one. But imagine if you had been born a Hebrew and you had lived your whole life studying the scriptures knowing that the coming Messiah had been prophesied about by almost 400 different prophetic messages in the Old Testament and you're looking for him. This is all written and prophesied about so that those who are waiting for him and expecting him would know that he indeed is the Messiah when he comes. In these verses, there are four major prophecies and three or four others, depending on how you count it, that are fulfilled just in those four verses. And it's significant that there are four verses there that are written by Luke to give us that information. Keep in mind the reason why Luke wrote this entire gospel. In Luke 1, we studied three weeks ago that he wrote this for Theophilus, who was obviously studying the scriptures, trying to determine, is this something I'm going to give my life to? Is he the one that is worthy to have my allegiance? And so Theophilus, Theophilus is studying Jesus. He's wanting to know, is he worth my life? And so Luke says, Theophilus, I am writing this to you so that you can be certain. So that you can be certain. So in this text, Luke provides details that some of the other gospels do not provide because he's helping Theophilus understand with certainty that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And in this text, you have four majors and three or four other uh, minor aspects to prophetic uh, support that, that the Messiah is indeed Jesus. Now, to raise the significance of this, uh, about four years ago I shared with you uh, an analogy that had been developed by a, a man named Dr. Stoner who had looked at what's the likelihood or the probability of four prophetic uh, fulfillments uh, about the day that Jesus died, or five, I'm sorry, and three from his day of birth. So birth, three prophecies, and death, five. So you have eight prophecies that he's gathering together and he's studying what would be the probability of one person fulfilling those eight. So again, three from his birth and five from his death. The probability is this. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you haven't been in school for a while, let me help you with that. That's taking the number 1 and adding 17 zeros after it. It's a number I can't even define for you. But to take that number and put it into an understandable context, to share the improbability of any individual fulfilling just those eight, and keep in mind, there were close to 400 prophecies written about the Messiah. So just those eight... The probability of being 1 in 10 to 17th power is like this. Take the state of Texas. Fill it. Now, some of you don't care for Texas. I grew up north of Texas. Texas is its own country. If you go there, just be ready to understand it's not America, it's Texas. So it, it just is what it is. And if you get there, you're going to be driving a long time to get out of the state. So it's a very, very, very large state. So take the state of Texas. 
fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. Okay, two feet deep with silver dollars. Mark one of those silver dollars with an X. Drop it into the state of Texas, stir the pot, blindfold someone, send them into the state of Texas, tell them you can walk as long as you want, walk anywhere you want, again, blindfolded, and, and choose one coin to pick up. Take the blindfold off and see if it's the one coin that has an X on it. Now, imagine if we filled this room two feet deep with silver dollars and marked one with an X, sent somebody into the room blindfolded. The probability of them picking up one coin and that coin being the X is, nearly, is basically just highly improbable. Fill the state of Texas where every church is bigger than this. And, and, and fill that state two feet deep, mark one with an X. It's basically saying impossible. Impossible. But yet, eight prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus just on the day he was born and the day he died that are very distinctive and unique from anything else. That can't be written just to write a story that fulfills those eight. That would take a genius to write it. But yet Jesus fulfilled almost 400 prophecies. So in this text, what are the prophecies that are fulfilled that are significant? So let's begin with the idea that he was born in Bethlehem. Now that comes from a prophecy out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. So in other words, a very insignificant location, an insignificant part of the tribe of Judah. So too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. In other words, there's going to be one, and God's the one speaking here. There's gonna be one that's gonna come out of you for me, like on my behalf, and this individual will be older than what life is here on this earth. In other words, from eternity. So he's preexistent, and he's going to come out of Bethlehem. Now, the chance of somebody being preexistent already is, already, is, is exclusive, because who among us was preexistent, right? But yet, this one would be preexistent and born in Bethlehem. So it's a strange prophecy. And it, it is seen as being so important to understand that this one that would be born out of Bethlehem is preexistent, that Paul highlights it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, one thing that I learned when I was in Bethlehem was that, or not in, in Israel, I should say, is that in Israel, every city has a history to why its name is what it is and or something significant about that city that is being written. And so Bethlehem means house of bread. It's interesting that in this context that you have Jesus that is gonna be born in Bethlehem and Jesus becomes the bread of life. And so the bread of life, the one who is gonna provide the sustenance for all of humanity is gonna come out of the house of bread. 
So do you think that is coincidence that this small little hamlet of Bethlehem is going to be that uh, kind of significant place where the bread of life will come from? And Matthew Henry highlights that saying, this is no strange thing that this would happen to Bethlehem, the house of bread, that the bread of life would come from it. Now, it's, it's interesting to say also about Bethlehem that Bethlehem, if in the time of Christ, was very, very small. In fact, Lidditz would be much larger than Bethlehem. Mannheim would be much larger than Bethlehem. Even Akron would be larger than Bethlehem. Rossville might be close to being that like Bethlehem. I, I live in Rossville, so I would say that I, I would understand that if something significant was gonna change the entire world and it came out of Rossville, I'd be like, really? Really? Maybe out of Binkley and Hearst or maybe the White Swan, I don't know. <laughs> so you have this idea that it's a very small place, insignificant. Why would something that's going to affect and change the entire world come out of Bethlehem? The only thing that was the claim to fame for Bethlehem was that King David came from there. All right, that's the only thing they had going for it. It was that they came, he came from that place. And so to say that the king of all kings, the one who's going to be the Messiah coming on behalf of God, as this text says, the preexistent one is going to come out of such an insignificant place that you only know about because King David came from there. Secondly, another thing that's important about this text is that Jesus was being born of, because the Messiah was prophesied as being born of a particular line. So of Abraham and Isaac through Jacob and Judah through Jesse and the house of David. Now, that's no small order because Abraham had two sons, right, that we, that we know about that, that, that were significant. You had Ishmael, the firstborn, and then you had Isaac, the secondborn. And Isaac becomes the one through whom God is saying will be the line. And then Isaac had two kids. Firstborn was Esau, and secondborn was Jacob. And so you had uh, this storyline where, again, the secondborn becomes the line through whom the Messiah is going to come. And then Jacob had many sons, of which, of the 12, one of them, being Judah, was going to be the one through whom the Messiah would come. And Judah, being a significant tribe, had several children, and by the way, through that children was also an interesting thing where you had a unique mother in that process. You have to go and study that uh, further. But under Judah, you had the son, Jesse. And Jesse was a very insignificant person within the tribe of Judah. He was not a part of the influencers of the tribe of Judah. In fact, very insignificant, very small. But even Jesse had multiple sons. And it wasn't gonna be just any son that would become the line through whom the Messiah would come, but it would be through the line of David. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and David. Now, let's go to the text here to understand. So Luke 3, just turn over a page, gives the entire lineage 
of Jesus. You'll also get a lineage uh, account that's in Matthew. But in Luke, he says, this is, um, Jesus himself was in verse 23, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then it begins with the lineage right there. So Joseph's father was Heli. And then you go on down and it goes further back. So it's going from youngest to oldest in his lineage. In verse 23, look what, I, um, I'm sorry, in verse 24, uh, it says that, that he was gonna come through the tribe, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Verse 33, where it says, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So there you have the whole line and lineage in Luke. Now let's go back to see where it was prophesied. So Abraham, he was prophesied as being the one through whom all nations of the earth would be blessed. That's found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. It'll be on the screen. Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Abraham is saying all nations are gonna be blessed because of you. So it's not just the Hebrew nation, it's going to be the Gentiles as well. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. Then, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, but God said to him, again, to Abraham, do not be so distressed. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, reconciled, made right, made righteous. There is an opportunity that's gonna come, and it's not through Ishmael, it's going to be through Isaac. Continuing on, because uh, now you get to Jacob, and it says in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So I see him now, I behold him, but, I'm sorry, I see him, but not now, and I behold him, but he's not near. So in other words, this is a prophecy, it's coming, it's, it's yet to come, but he says, a star will come out of Jacob. So it's not Esau, it is Jacob. Now some say this star reference is to the star that is found on the day of Jesus' birth and, and began to draw others, including the Magi, to the location of the Christ child. So it's arguable, not sure, but it's certainly not inconsistent with the idea that that star is part of the prophecies as well. So that scepter, though, is a statement that a scepter will rise out of Israel. In other words, out of Jacob, because Israel was another name for Jacob, out of Jacob, there will be a king. So a scepter will rise out of Jacob or out of Israel. Now, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scepter, in other words, this king, it will not depart from Judah. So there will be a lineage of kingship that will never leave Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom he, it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Again, the connection to the nations 
is coming into this line, the one being prophesied about. So it's not just Israel. It's not just the Hebrew nation. It is all the nations will, will be made obedient and will come through him who's obedient. And it will come out of the tribe of Judah. Continuing on, Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So it's not just Judah, but now it's Jesse. It's going to come out of Jesse, this branch that will bear fruit. And it's an ongoing fruit, an eternal fruit, this branch that will bear fruit out of Jesse. And not just any son of Jesse's, it's going to be a specific son. So Jeremiah 23, verse 5, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. So it's again that branch terminology, but now it's Jeremiah speaking it, that this branch will come out of David, a king, so again the scepter, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and then finally, in the line of David. All of that is stated within the context that when Jesus was being born, it says he's of the line of David. And that cuts right through all of those messages in a single statement. But then another thing happens in this text that is significant. It's the idea that a virgin could have a baby. Uh, and so in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The sign will be that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So a virgin giving birth to a child, not likely to ever happen, right? Right? Which is why last week as we looked when the angel came to Mary who would know these prophecies and said, you will give birth to a son. And her response was, well, how can that happen since I am a virgin? She wants to understand. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and this child will be conceived of the Spirit. And so in this, she's knowing, oh, there is a text that speaks to this. But she's trying to understand it that how can this happen since I am a virgin? And so it's a, a significant moment here because in the prophecies of the expectancy of the Messiah is this idea that a virgin will be the mother of this child. Significant because you can't manufacture such an experience, right? You can't manufacture because this is divine and miraculous. So it says there, that a virgin will give birth to a son. Now, the other thing that's really important to understand is that it's also not insignificant. When you're talking about a pre-existent one, again, remember the first prophecy we read, he was pre-existent, that is gonna come in, out of Bethlehem. This pre-existent one will be born of a woman. That goes back to the earliest of all messianic prophecies. Because in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it says this, it says, and God's speaking to two people, to Eve 
and to the serpent, Satan himself. So he says to them, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. In other words, the offspring of the woman will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now striking the heel does not kill, but the crushing of the head does. So significant to understand that in this, being born of a woman is important to, to hear because a person that is preexistent would seem to be somebody who does not need to be born. So it was a miraculous, divine, orchestrated story that no human being could ever make happen. It required divine intervention. And so you have this prophecy saying this this person that is preexistent will actually be born of a woman. Paul felt it so important that he mentions it again in Galatians chapter four, verse four, when he says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent, sent, preexistent, sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law. So it's important to understand that this preexistent one came to be born of a woman. And so it's highlighted in this. In an ancient Hebrew uh, text, not a, not a biblical text, but a Hebrew scholar from, from antiquity says this about that particular uh, prophecy, and, and, and it'll be up on the screen. Again, this is ancient. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between the seed of your offspring and the seed of her offspring. And it shall be that when the offspring of the woman keeps the commandments of the law, which nobody had been able to do, right? Nobody had been able to keep the full commandments of the law. So when that happens, you will aim right at them and you will wound them in the heel. However, however, when they abandon the, I'm sorry, you will, you will be smited on the head. But when they abandon the commandments of the Lord, you will aim right at them and you will wound them in the heel. However, for them, there will be a remedy. But for you, there will be none. And in the future, they will make peace with the heel in the days of the king, Messiah. This was written prior to Jesus, that when a scholar studying the, the Genesis text is realizing how significant this moment is, that there is a remedy for mankind, but there's not a remedy for Satan and his followers. That is a beautiful understanding to realize how significant it is that this man that was going to be born of a woman who is preexistent is going to provide the remedy that you and I need in light of the sin that has separated us from God. It is important to also understand that in these texts is this idea that if he's preexistent, that he must be the son of God. Psalm 2 verse seven says this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree because God said to me, you are my son and today I have become your father. In a couple weeks, we'll be looking at a text in Luke where it says, when Jesus came out of the water after he was baptized, a voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And this son of God is the declaration that was actually made when the angel met with Mary 
For she, for the angel told her, just as it was said in Isaiah hundreds of years before, that this son that is going to be born to you will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Isaiah 7:14, written hundreds of years beyond 600 years from the time of Christ. He said, this man will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Son of God. That is the story that we're here. If it was indeed a possibility that man could fabricate and create such a story, we would be able to see through it because no one person could possibly fulfill all of these uh, prophecies unless it was truth, unless it was real, and unless the author of it knew beforehand what was all going to happen, and that author is God himself. And then, as part of his plan, God came to be here on this earth, manifested in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Such a small thing it may seem to us, God, that in just a handful of verses, just in a handful of verses, that you would fulfill so much that was improbable. And yet you did that so that nobody could be confused as to who the true Redeemer is. Many have come claiming to be that Redeemer only to easily, with one or two prophecies, be able to say, you don't fulfill it. But Jesus continues to fulfill all that is written there. And for all who seek, we can truly discover that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who saves. So Jesus, we are thankful to you for being obedient to the Father and, and out of his love for us and your love for us and your love for the Father, you were obedient to even putting on human skin and being obedient to a death that you did not deserve and ultimately supplying the remedy that we needed to be reconciled to the creator of the universe. So we declare you as king, we declare you as Lord, and we declare you as the true Messiah. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So thank you, band. Thank you, choir. Thank you, keys. Thank you, everyone, for your contribution this morning. And thank you for coming as we were able to celebrate together the coming of the Christ child. It must not be lost upon us. There can only be one Messiah. That's why the Bible wrote so many prophecies. In fact, if we were just to take 48 prophecies and say what's the probability of one, it would be one in 10 to the 157th power. We can't even come up with an analogy here on this earth that would cover enough silver dollars in space to do so. So in the one to 10 to 17th, we'll just stick to eight, you have a Messiah. It, is, it can only be one. It can't be probable of another. It can only be one. And there is one. And his name is Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the one that came to provide the remedy that was talked about of old, that we are in need of a Savior. 
And so if you do not know Jesus Christ and you have not made him Lord and today you are convinced and you are assured as Theophilus needed to hear that he's indeed the Messiah, we would be glad to pray with you. We'll have people underneath the tombstone over here that would be glad to pray with you. Perhaps you need to just pray with somebody to have them pray for you that you'll have a godly spirit with some of your family members this week. You know what I mean? I, there's been times where I've had to pray on my knees going into a family gathering at Christmas. So maybe you need to just simply have somebody pray with you over there. They'd be glad to do that. Regardless, I trust that you'll walk out of here today celebrating the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he came, he was born of human skin, but was preexistent, and he knows your future, and he wants to speak into it. And I trust that you've been blessed today. So God be with you. Be, have safe travels, and perhaps you'll be with us tomorrow where we'll celebrate even more. God bless as we go out these doors this morning. Amen.